0: Welcome to this Roundup. The SARS-CoV-2 identified as the causative agent of an outbreak of viral pneumonia centered around Wuhan, China, and now named as a COVID-19, is a full-blown pandemic impacting most nations. While this ongoing coronavirus outbreak is a terrible human tragedy at all levels, it is not just a health crisis, it is also an economic crisis of immense proportion. It is shaking up the global community and the global economy, and the impact is being felt across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia. In this unprecedented new global reality, we are witnessing a dramatic restructuring of the fundamentals in which the human ecosystem has traditionally operated, while how exactly this restructuring evolves Remains to be seen, one thing is certain: the restructuring of the global economic order is imminent, although battling the virus and eradicating it is of the utmost importance, there is a clear need to begin a discussion on how to navigate to the next normal, how to restructure the entire human ecosystem of cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace and space, and how to bring the much needed resilience and transformation for focused, very focused to restructure each component of a nation. To discuss implications of COVID-19 on businesses, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Badri Gopal Krishnan to Risk Roundup. Dr. Badri and Gopal Krishnan, co-founder of Inspecium, is an experienced academic and corporate researcher, applied economist, policy business consultant, and currently affiliated with McKinsey and Company as a consulting economist. Welcome, Dr. Gopal Krishnan. We are very honored to have you on Risk Roundup.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Pandya. I'm I'm delighted to be part of this uh, wonderful forum, and um, I'm I'm happy to you know share my thoughts on this, and uh, um, looking forward to the interaction.
0: Wonderful. So, with the spread of COVID-19, we are dealing with enormous uncertainty at so many levels. Will it? Everybody has questions like, will it be possible to go to work? Will, will factories be allowed to operate? Um, are businesses going to be open? What will be the impact of the economy or of our livelihoods? And will companies suffer? Are we going to go bankrupt? Will businesses go to bankrupt? Can the supply of essential goods and services be maintained? Will we even have a job? These are all, these and so many million more questions are racing through everyone's minds, adding stress to the already challenging reality of living in the time of this coronavirus. Everything has changed. Things normally that we have taken granted for are no longer possible. As the pandemic continues to expand, what is the path to the next normal? What is the path to the new normal for businesses?
1: Um, no, I, I think this is. Uh, I, I cannot agree more uh, with you because this is an extremely, um, you know, unprecedented situation uh, in terms of um, the, uh, the immediate effect and also the long-term effect that 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 uh, we are we are we are looking at. We are staring at uh, all the points that you mentioned are uh, really valid, and I can probably discuss you know some of them uh, one by one. Uh, you know the the local businesses, you know, restaurants, and any places that involve people gathering physically. Uh, you know they're all suffering a lot um, in 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 the, in the in the current current times, and maybe in the coming months they're going to suffer even more. Um, so so that's that's a major change coming and. Um, in terms of going back to work, is again a big, big question mark. Uh, you know, I mean, definitely we are going to go back to work, but when? And I mean, the the economy is going, you know, back to normal at some point, but when is that? Uh, we don't know yet. And when is like then the second question is like after the economy gets back to track, what happens to each of us as individuals? Uh, that is yet another question. Uh, so, so I think that that that's all very, very difficult and. Uh, however i see some uh probably i'll first uh explain some of the negative impact that we're looking at and then then come up with some silver lining some some positives to take take away from um so the first um thing that is happening like why why is all this economic uncertainty happening uh in addition to the health uncertainty, i'm i'm even uh for now i'm even um, you know, ignoring the the health uncertainties like people dying, cases, and so on. For the moment, let's uh, you know uh, ignore that and focus on the the masses. What what all of us are facing, not just the people who are affected, the, the health wise, but economy wise, uh, everyone is affected. So when when you think about that, uh, there are different channels in which things are getting affected. The first thing, as I mentioned, is anything that involves gathering of people. Uh, any business that involves gathering of people is Severely affected. Uh, so tourism is uh, t- taken a big hit. Uh, it has been explicitly banned uh, because of um, the restrictions on movements and so on. So the entire tourism industry, which which involves basically, if you think about it, tourism involves uh, pretty much uh, all goods and services. Because when the tourists go to from one country to another, they're going to buy everything that the locals are going to buy. So all the fast-moving cons- consumer goods and 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 uh, you know, transportation services and other lot of services, they're all going to be severely affected. I mean, not going to be, they are already affected. Uh, that is one. The second aspect is the uh, shutting down of borders. That actually affects movement of goods and services, uh, and and uh, apart from people. Um, so this actually affects a lot of, um, uh, you know, day-to-day goods that, that we need. Like you, you were talking about essential commodities and, I think that is also a question mark. Thankfully, so far it has not been an issue. We have uh, enough stock and we have uh, some production is going on, es- production of essential commodities is going on. But to the extent that we are dependent on uh, the global supply chain, uh, we are going to be affected. If, if uh, we, uh, for, for certain commodities, we depend on um, you know some international sources, it's very likely that we are going to face some shortage in future. Like you know, already a lot of us are, um, uh, you know, maybe first generation or second generation immigrants from other countries, and we in the U.S. and we consume a lot of uh, native products, indigenous products from our home countries, um, and 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 uh, I think we we have been getting a pretty seamless supply of those goods, but now given all the shutdown. That's going to be difficult i'm talking about even some food food products like basic essentials like you mentioned uh so i think that is that is a major issue trade is uh second aspect i mentioned tourism second is trade third is uh production shutdown so even domestically things are going to be produced less so uh, we are going to uh, face that shortage uh and 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 uh as a result of all this uh, supply reduction we are also part of Uh, uh, all of us are both producers and consumers that we are both consumers and producers. So as of, so far I talked about us as consumers, we are going to find it difficult to find uh, certain uh, commodities, goods and services. But now think about us as suppliers that we are part of the labor market. We're part of the capital market. We're producing things, investing on things. So from that perspective, again, there are going to be losses because of the, changes in the supply side as well right Um, uh, you know we are producing less so there are fewer jobs um, and less investment so that is going to be affected Uh, and similarly we are we are actually um, um, uh, you know um, uh, uh, consuming uh, people are consuming less so so one thing is production is shut down in many countries second thing is people are consuming less so there is a supply side effect and there is a demand side effect and all of this are kind of ramping up uh, one reinforcing the other there is low supply so there is low demand so there is low demand so there is low supply so there is kind of a what we call as vicious circle that is kind of spiraling and, and and this is this is going on for some time and it can uh, become worse so now coming to i think these are these are i think i've talked enough about all the negatives and I, I'm, I'm sure all of you already know about it probably i'm just giving it from an eco- economist perspective um but thinking about the positives uh, one thing of course is uh, you know like not, not positives but some kind of mitigatory measures that countries are taking the governments are taking yeah, there are some stimulus being injected to the economy uh, like in the us has announced among the largest stimuli in the in the world um, uh, both in terms of uh, fiscal and in terms of liquidity injections um, and, and, you know, in from my analysis, I can say that, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, the GDP dip can be as high as three, four percent uh, percentage points. And the extent to which we can recover through the stimulus can be at least half of that. Half of that can be mitigated uh, just because of the stimulus. And how how does that work? Um, people who are out of jobs, they're going to get some unemployment benefits and some income, so that they can continue consuming. So at least you can address the demand side effect there, and uh, the essential commodities will be, you know, uh, mandated to be, you know, keep producing, uh, and and you also uh, some big companies that are failing uh, may be supported through these bailout packages and so on. So all these are going to affect the economy at 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 large. But I, I personally think that the more money is spent on common people for consumption um, the the more effective uh, it will be rather than just focusing on bailing out and so on So,
0: so, see, you make some really good points about, of course, you know, we talked, you mentioned a lot of negatives, which we all are, you know, facing, industries are facing, businesses are facing, countries are facing, and also the global supply chain that you talk about. Yes, you know, absolutely, the global supply chain is a huge problem because with the borders shut, you know, and with the uh, transportation industry, especially in the planes and, you know, cargos and everything, you know, coming on a standstill. How are we going to get what we need from the other countries? The, you know, the glo- supply chain, the entire global supply chain is impacted. The factories are shut down. So where the things are going to come from? So those questions are going to be very critical, you know, for any, even if a country, you know, recovers from this pandemic. But if the other countries where the supply chain, you know, where for you know, be which country supply chain they depend on, if those countries are still shut down, you know, it doesn't matter. Even if this country can, you know, open their businesses because they just don't have uh, for the products or whatever resources they need to build the products or to you know manufacture, they won't have that. So. The industries that you talked about, like people cannot go out now, people cannot, you know, eat outside, you know, all the restaurants and everything is shut down, all the, you know, tourism is shut down for those kind of industries, it's going to be a bigger problem because how long can they do that? All the people that, you know, they had employed, they all are laid off yes, you know, many governments are have come out with stimulus, like United States have come out with huge stimulus. The question here is, you know, all the people who are paying taxes, yes, they all will be covered, you know, somehow and, you know, they will get a paycheck month to month. But in United States, if we talk about, we also have a lot of undocumented people. They are not, you know, uh, paying the taxes. More, A lot of them are not paying taxes. You know, a lot of them are not uh, uh, having, you know, any legal pay- paperwork. So there is going to, there is a huge fear for them. How are they going to survive? How are they going to pay rent? So those kind of, the question then emerges is for that population and for the, you know, restaurant business and tourism and all many of those businesses that uh, uh, airplanes and, you know, uh, how are they going? How long can they sustain without, uh, you know, opening up? How long can they do that without, you know, having an economic shock through which they cannot come out even if there is a stimulus or you know no stimulus
1: yeah I you know i think the yeah the biggest uh trouble is that a lot of the the small companies small businesses that you mentioned uh i somewhere i read a study which said that on an average a small and medium business is smb is it, it has uh, uh, enough surplus only to manage like one or two months of uh, working capital right? Uh, so all the operational expenses and working capital and so on. So maybe one to t- two months they can manage with great difficulty, but beyond that it's going to be difficult. So there are going to be layoffs. There are going to be you know I, I already hear uh, I know in uh, you know our uh, region here in Seattle area um, many restaurants have actually gone out of business for good, not just for like temporary shut like uh, closed down, but like they just felt that it's just not sustainable, they they, they just felt that it's...
0: Yes, very true, because here also we are seeing that, you know, even the drive-through, they are, you know, keeping the business, restaurants open, uh, hoping that people will come pick up the food, you know, even if they cannot come inside, but the behavior has changed, the consumer behavior has changed, everybody has started cooking at home, and that will not go away, even if they, you know... Pandemic, you know, probably goes away and people, you know, will be able to come out because the fear will stay there, whether they should go in public places, whether they should go in, you know, uh, places where there are a lot of people. So when the behavior changes, all these industries, all these businesses, they cannot get back up, so you are right. I, I mean, I can understand why those businesses have you know shut down for good, the restaurants have shut down for good because uh, it is just not going to be sustainable. So, for those kind of businesses, those kind of industries, how do they restructure? Because it's a new way of doing things they will have to come up with, it's a new way of providing services they will have to come up with because people are not going to go in crowded places even when we things get better because that fear is. Going to linger on. So how do those businesses restructure?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I also have been uh, following what is happening in China. And China is a good example here, uh, although not in all ways, but in certain ways, uh, because you know they have kind of reopened now. And what I see there is that people are not, uh, you know, going out and doing the things that they usually do, despite the fact that malls have opened all the usual consumerist uh businesses have, have 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 come back um so i i completely agree with you on that uh, you know it, it's it's going to be very very challenging and difficult but actually you know uh, uh to the extent that it's it, it's kind of a, as i mentioned before it's a kind of vicious supply pulling down demand demand pulling down supply kind of problem the best way to come out of it is Uh, you know, some initial money somebody has to put in some initial money to come out of it, and that's that's why I'm talking about this uh, stimulus package. Secondly, uh, definitely the industries had to think about restructuring the way they are doing things. Um, maybe you know, half the people who are not like, like you said, the behavior is going to change, and among the people who are going to change the behavior, half of them may be saying that, I mean, just to give an example, half of them may say that, okay. I will and I'm really looking forward to go out and eat because I'm just sick of eating at home my own cooked food and I'm looking for the restaurants to open the lockdown to be done with and there are going to be such people so they are going to be the usual customers and probably that's probably let's say it's going down by 50% like whatever they had before only half of them are going to come back. The remaining half may say that I mean maybe the quarter of the uh, remaining half they may say that okay. Okay, no. Um, uh, yeah, I know everything is open, but I don't want to take any risk. Like like you mentioned, uh, they say that you know we just have to um, we just have to um, uh, you know uh, avoid eating out and so on. Uh, and uh, like uh, on that, there are two two types of uh, consumers, right? One type of consumer may say that okay, I don't want to eat outside at all. I don't I don't even want to buy some package from outside and eat it at home. Uh, and some may say, okay, I don't want to just sit in crowded places, but I am okay with ordering something online. Uh, you know, it's like Uber Eats kind of stuff. Um, you know, those those consumers may exist. So that that may be another part of the recovery. And uh, the, then you are going to lose some customers, like you rightly pointed out, uh, particularly the people who have already been at the margin. They're not so keen to go out and uh, they're more of, um, you know, home eaters. And now they just say, we just don't want to go out. And others who may say, "Okay, we have learned to cook and learn to do things at home. Let's just continue this way, healthy, healthy kind of thing." Yes. So, so I think that is that is the thing. And now, in terms of what the businesses can do, looking at all these different customer segments, um, there are the one part of the customer segment they just cannot do anything. So, you know, whatever they do, they are not going to listen to. They are not going to restart their consumption. But others, uh, the people who are willing to uh, continue consuming at home um if they get the supply if they reach uh, if they can get what the food at home and so maybe there is going to be more and more e-commerce of uh, uh you know these kind of products uh, i'm just giving restaurants as an example uh because that's something that we all can relate to uh so i'll continue with that example but uh, so maybe the uber eats kind of services can expand more because right now when i see for example look at uber eats there are only a few uh, restaurants that are connected with overage but now you may see more and more of them uh, connected with them and and maybe even the restaurants themselves may have some delivery services they also may have some online order delivery like e-commerce is going to expand in a big way here um, and secondly uh, maybe there's going to be more uh, 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 movement towards uh, transparency uh, transparency in in terms of the Uh, this kind of restaurants they're going to say that okay this is what we are doing Uh, we are being very hygienic already already there are many restaurants that are kind of uh, issuing statements that you know we already follow very hygienic practices and now we are being even more careful and so on i saw i even got some emails from some of those restaurants about about this and so i think that is that is another thing like they're going to try to retain some of their customers saying that no you you are completely safe if you eat with us and the next level is probably they're going to change their business. Maybe they're saying, Okay, we're not going to do restaurants. But if people are cooking at home, people are going to eat the same amount of food, but then they're going to eat more food. So maybe if they move instead of uh, you know, supplying cooked food, they probably can start groceries or more uh, you know, supply the raw, raw foods rather than cooked foods. Sure. Um, sure. So, so I think, yeah, these these are some some examples I can think of. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is that everyone has to think of really deeply think in about their business and think about these different customer segments and try to come up with some solution, some uh, maybe a, a kind of a blended model would work the best. Probably they are going to have the old customers have their old business model, but for the new customers have the new business model
0: yes so, and the new customers and new competition will emerge because you know if if they are going to just deliver food and it's going to be Uber Eats then you know the lot of people who cook at home who are really good at cooking they will say why don't we just supply food why do we have to you know depend on restaurants so Uber model you know that Uber Eats model uh, the delivery model can expand and if the home stay home you know man, women you know who are good at cooking who love cooking they can start supplying so there could be new competitors emerging and this is not just about restaurant business because I was thinking I mean there are a lot of uh, this uh, businesses who are already able to do work through the computer through video conferencing and through you know phones and uh, the for you know selling for sales and marketing and for many many jobs you know the people that used to go to offices And employers had to have huge buildings, you know, commercial buildings and offices for everyone, conference room for everyone. They're all finding out that, you know, they don't need those anymore because, you know, people are working just fine through their home, you know, using the Microsoft Meet or Google Meet, uh, all those kind of video conferencing tools. And they are just, you know, seeing uh, each other, you know, through video conferencing. Those offices won't be necessary. Those buildings won't be necessary because you don't—they don't need to come to work. They can work from home, which is more productive and more efficient, and you can cut down so much, you know, operation costs. So there is going to be a huge restructuring, you know, on how to do things. And for all that, it's going to for each business, each industry is going to require visualizing, you know, what different ways we can provide services now products in what different ways we can build products what different ways we can you know provide services to our and uh, consumer and clients so it's going to be an enormous restructuring of not just re, uh, you know restaurant industry or how to you know deliver food how to you know provide food to the consumers it's going to be an enormous restructuring revisualizing for each and every role each and every services and products, how to build, how to, you know, provide services for each and every industry. Do you see that happening already? Like uh, businesses have started re-, re visualizing how to do things in the coming tomorrow. What would, you know, consumer be comfortable with? How we can, you know, change entirely our business models.
1: Do you see yeah. that? Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. And I was thinking of restaurants as a an example, but uh, it's going to happen across the board. And I uh, have a particular uh, way of uh, thinking about this, uh, which I think it's also shared by many others, uh, not 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 necessarily a unique perspective, but it's about the fact that over time, um, we have been undergoing this digital transformation, right? The kind of calls we are having now, webinars and so on. We have been doing that for a while now. and we have already, over the past few years, we've already avoided a lot of travel and commuting by people working from home. I know, for example, in companies like Amazon, they have pretty much like a complete, you know, like thousands of employees in a division, which is like something like virtual customer care, where everyone in that, like starting from the senior, most senior vice president until the associate, uh, everyone works from home and they all coordinate through video conferences. And so this, is, this, all these things have been existing for the past few years, but many companies have not caught up to that. They're not, uh, you know, examined these, these modes of operandi. So now what is happening is uh, this process, whatever we are going through now, is kind of accelerating the digital transformation. The technologies exist already, but now people are beginning to use it. The companies that were not doing this so far, they're not thinking about doing that, and not not thinking. They're forced to think about doing that. So sometimes, like you think of uh, 9/11, and uh, um, you know the the world before 9/11 was very different from the world after that, and you know a lot of change, things changed. The security increased a lot in the uh, in the airports. We are doing the security check in that takes a long longer time, and so on. This all happened as a response to 9/11. The same way this crisis is going to change the way the businesses are working, thinking, employees are working. And and and, and I think in a way, the, one, the only the kind of silver linings that I was beginning to talk about earlier, one of them was that uh, if, imagine this pandemic happened like 30 years ago, we would all have been in a much, much, much worse situation uh, in a way because uh, at least uh, uh, a large part of the economy, like the economy that involves, um, you know, management, uh, you know, strategic thinking, operations at a high level, uh, or strategy, analytics, consulting. So these kind of businesses, uh, software, uh, we they are pretty much running as usual, business as usual. We are all working from home and business is running as usual. When I talk to all my friends in these industries they say oh, we are if anything we are just more busy than before yes. right and, and and the same holds for me and you and for all people like us who are thinking at a high level doing some strategic analysis and thinking and so on uh, so i think i think this uh, transformation is already there and it is kind of accelerating and it is uh, like when i hinted when i talked talked about restructuring of businesses this is one of the ideas i was thinking that the businesses should think, how do they connect with the digital economy? Whatever is their business model, uh, how do they uh, connect with digital economy? How can they make use of the digital transformations that are happening? Uh, like, like I already saw that uh, some of the recent numbers that have come out, the digital part of the economy is actually booming uh, in the last uh, few months. Uh, compared to the rest of the economy, the physical economy is kind of uh, definitely dropping where, whereas the digital economy is expanding uh, so that is a clear sign that you know you know we the the digital transformation is close to complete now and I mean by the time we are come out in, we are we're going to come out of this crisis you know education is becoming online already you know kids are studying from home uh, my ten year old uh, uh, daughter she she's actually you know Emailing the teacher and assignments and so on. Has she's having video calls, Zoom calls. She's actually more familiar with Zoom than than I am. <laughs> so, so these things are happening in all sectors uh, already. This, this the digital transformation is happening. Even telemedicine, like even like right now, the situation is in the in the healthcare is that it's they're so 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 busy with the COVID. Our doctor friends, and and you know the only way to. If you have other kinds of illnesses, it's kind of risky to go because of the situation now, uh, social distancing and so on. So it's a nice way to, nice time to explore uh, telemedicine and, 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 you know, video uh, conferencing with doctors and so. So, yeah, I think this is throwing up a lot of opportunities. And if the startups, the, the technology startups and so on, they can think of exploiting this situation and getting into some of these areas and, actually solve these problems right and they're they, they pretty much like social enterprises they can work on solutions to all the problems we are facing in using digital technologies and 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 kind of evangelizing or kind of you know um, spreading the word about um, the 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 uh, good things of uh, digital transformation and uh, mm-hmm. i think that can mitigate a lot of lot of the problems we are we are looking at and going a little ahead of just simple digital transformation like what we are talking about you know webinars and so on even if you can even think about things like 3d printing like maybe that's the closest link between the, the digital economy and physical manufacturing kind of industries right uh, maybe yeah we we can have people as factory uh, where you know people are uh, you know maybe you just need a very, very high level Uh, highly skilled technical person who who knows the the artificial intelligence, robotics, automation, 3D printing, these kind of things, and everything is produced and people don't even touch anything. They're just produced and packaged automatically. Um, You know, that that is coming. I think that that is what we have been calling as Industry 4.0. That is coming. Now your your question may be, okay, if you're doing all these things, it is kind of very scary because people are not, people are going to be less and less involved in physical activities, Right. Uh, physical workers, blue-collar workers—they are all going to probably lose jobs. So, what, what about that? And that's a very different question, and that is again a question we have been grappling with. We all know, uh, all the policymakers um, and 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 business leaders—we all know that that is coming. And uh, you know, leaders like Jeff Bezos and other other major leaders—they have been pointing to that. That you know, we have to be ready for uh you know massive uh automation and job losses and so on and because they're all already working working along this uh, that direction so now the situation then becomes uh how to support the people who are losing jobs so here there are two things one thing is like i mentioned there are new ways of uh, doing things and you will still need physical people for like for example deliveries people are not going to go to shops but people are you need people for delivery and, and and people are uh, um, and because of the other the new lines of businesses are going to sparse, uh kind of prosper you're going to have a lot of money lying with some people and they are going to have some very customized kind of tastes and preferences and you will you will uh, have you will need people to support them like you know i may uh, like uh, uh, if i'm very skilled and before all this happened i'm not much on demand but after all this happened my services is on high demand i'm earning a lot of money and now i'm going to my taste is going to be very very uh, kind of uh, evolved and i'm going to go for very very specific type of uh, restaurants specific uh, kind of tastes i'm going to have a uh, specific type of entertainment services and so on so people have to think about those things and for them you definitely need people to be involved uh, like blue collar workers and so on so that is one aspect but that is not going to uh, that is not going to take all the slack of all the people who are losing jobs uh, so this is where I I personally feel as an economist that this is high time we tried the concept of universal basic income. Uh, We we have to make sure that, you know, maybe the people who are losing jobs out of all the situation, uh, if they can prove enough that they just cannot get a job, you know, you you try, you persist with them, try to skill them, try to get them ready for the current job market and so on. But at the end of the day, they should not uh, kind of Uh, die out of starvation, they should not, at least they should have their basic needs. The basic income should be guaranteed. If that is the case, then all kinds of automation, anything can happen, Uh, then if they have enough food to eat, they're just going to probably uh, do something that's creative or whatever they can, you know, you know, uh, do like you you can see that the uh, entertainment industry has become so much democratized, right? Anyone can start a YouTube channel and you can have your own following, right? So, so I think more and more of those kind of things can happen like people people can just do what they love they they want to do, and they don't have to worry about income for the sake of it and and uh, yeah. so yeah many
0: uh, many, will... many new many new ways of doing things you know will emerge as as you know you're just talking about, and the point that you made about that thank God that the pandemic did not come. 30 years back, that is an excellent point because no nation was ready. Our, you know, cyberspace was not ready. Our digital infrastructure was not ready. But now it is ready. I and mean, there are still, you know, a lot of uh, tools and technology. We still need to develop processes. We need to establish policies, regulation, all that needs to happen. But we are almost there. So yes, a lot of, uh, you know, continuity is there that, you know, we are not seeing businesses disrupting most of them because, the digital infrastructure is giving us the continuity for our operations. But if we talk about the education infrastructure, I mean, uh, you know, in how in the United States, you know, Ivy League colleges to all these, you know, uh, number one rated colleges, uh, you know, each of them, you know, cost so much for, uh, you know, tuition every year. Now the infrastructure is going to change. Now everybody, you know, like if, this does not, you know, recover quickly enough, then probably next semester will not happen. Then next year may not happen. You know, if this pandemic still lingers on because, you know, there is a risk of, you know, students coming on the campus. So, yes, there mode more of, you know, operations will need to change. The more of education is going, will need to change. So education industry will go through heavy disruption and I don't think they were ready yet. It's going to, you know, create a lot of, uh, Enormous challenges for all these colleges that depend on international you know, students and international tuition. So there is uh, going to be a lot of disruption for this industry. And at the same time, yes, there are huge opportunities. But the point that you made about you know, universal basic income. Yes, I, I mean, we were all debating, discussing that, you know, as the automation takes over, we will need to start, you know, thinking about how people will start losing jobs. So how to give them, you know, basic income? Nobody, you know, imagined that because of pandemic, we will have to, you know, push towards this and we will need to provide some basic, you know, uh, income for people who are uh, losing jobs who have no income. So, yes, we are at that point. But the question of that is, will the, who is going to pay that, you know, basic income? The governments? Where will the revenues come for the governments? so it 's not just and who will decide whether you know twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollars per month for an adult is enough for them to live on because you know each city each city's you know standard of living is very, very different, so how are we going to define who gets what so instead, I think you know the new models which we have you know discussed and which we have promoted over the years is you know we need to come up with an effective way of making sure that we pay consumers for the data they are generating, digital data, because all the data that we are generating based on that new products, new services are emerging. And the consumers should benefit for, uh, from the data they are you know, providing to all these digital companies. At the same time, the genomic data that we are providing based on which new medicines are emerging that also you know the consumers should benefit from the genomic data they are providing they are sharing so new these pharmaceutical industries and all that they are you know able to come up with new you know drugs and new uh, way of doing things so We need to come up with new innovative ways, and uh, I I don't think universal basic income alone is going to be sufficient. We need to come up with new ways. So, do you see that uh, discussion happening in any of the nation? Because I I have been, we have been, you know, promoting this, and we have been pushing for this discussion that just universal basic income is not enough. You know, in the coming years.
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, the universal basic income itself is a very Uh, Crude idea at this point, you know, nobody has flushed it out. Nobody has really thought the details on on like exactly like what you said And in terms of where the money comes from they just have some notional ideas that maybe we can recover We can increase the taxes on the rich and so on Uh, You know, but you know, you know, like uh, some of the Scandinavian countries have the system to some extent in place Uh, but I completely agree with you on the um, on the data paying for the data and so on I've seen some uh, businesses uh, have this kind of business model you, you submit your data and you get paid for it kind of business model um, and and because they are making money out of it and they share the businesses they share some part of the revenue with you because you are sharing your data yes. and, and and that is that is i, I think if if uh, companies like google facebook twitter uh, linkedin and uh, big, these big companies they start paying uh, i think probably like you said we may not even need ubi uh, universal basic income because there is so much money out there and and i think uh, i think that's that's a very i'm completely supportive of this initiative i think on this it is more a business driven thing this is something that businesses have to come up with these ideas and propose these ideas and basically it's kind of to be tested in the market directly and i i see no reason why this would uh, not succeed i mean this would be a big success because it makes sense for everyone People are going to be happy because you know how oh, I've been giving my data away to these companies without knowing why they're using, where they're using, and not getting anything out of it. I know these guys are making billions of dollars, and now there's some company which is actually willing to pay me for that, and I'll definitely go with that company. So if uh, um, it's just a matter of the strategies such businesses can take. Like how do how do they, how are they going to scale? They have to learn from all the existing big tech companies. How do they how do they grow? And they have to scale up and they have to have a business model. Like, I mean, they cannot say that, uh, I mean, they have to strike a balance between sharing the money with the people and making their profits. Um, And and I think it's, it's doable. It's not like there is enough resources. There are enough resources when you pull every, uh, you know, lot of people in the world. Um, I think this can be a very successful model. Uh, And I, I, myself, I've been thinking of uh, these kind of ideas and uh discussing with some friends on uh you know how how nice it would be to you know develop such platforms uh they can even be you know linked i mean to begin with they can be linked with this existing big platforms uh but then they can be the intermediaries so they get the data and and then they negotiate it. eventually they can grow so big that they can negotiate with the big companies so it can become like an industry gold standard so mm-hmm. it's not only like this small part of the uh, economy but they can have some deals with the big companies so that They can actually get money from the big companies, and then they can give that to the share that to the people. So I think that is a great, great uh, way to do it. And here I also think that apart from, like I mentioned, businesses can have probably, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, I would say, kind of initiative and responsibility they can take to do this. Uh, But secondly, I also think the governments can play a very role here. We already have things like, you know, security regulations and privacy regulations and so on. Uh, if they can go a little ahead of that, uh, like, for example, I recently uh, read about um, the the doctors, like, because of HIPAA regulation in the U.S., um, you know, Privacy Act uh, for Health-related stuff, and the doctors are not able to, uh, like, there is, there, is, there is a constraint on the doctors on how, how much information they can share even with the patients and uh or or their experience with other patients and so on so there is kind of some transparency issue coming out of uh, data security here one solution people say is that maybe uh, we can give the customers the freedom the customers can decide whether they need privacy or not like whether i need privacy or not is something that i should decide not the government right so when you give that kind of freedom you give an option you ask a customer say do you want to release your data or you don't want to release your data If, if you release your data I know you're kind of sacrificing something that you wouldn't otherwise do. So I'm willing to pay you something. Uh, If you don't release data, well, that's okay. That's your choice, right? Uh, And we are not going to pay anything. You're just going to avail the service. So I think this, this could be like a thing that needs some tweak in the regulations. The governments have to think about how much they have to go, how far they can go with privacy. If people are opening up about themselves in like Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, why not they open up uh, in, in, to the doctors and to like, like other people? And maybe they can get some uh, income out of that. Because because like data is gold. Data is a new gold, people say. Data is a new oil or new gold, people say. Because data data is the basis of a lot of money that many big companies make. So why should... Yeah, then why shouldn't the data points, the people who are the data points, why shouldn't they make uh, money out of it, right? If, if that's, that's the... It's kind of i mean in, in economics we can take this to uh, the natural resource economics when the oil is owned by all of us collectively so if oil is sold all of us should get money from it right so that that is kind of one tenet of natural resource economics so now we can think of data as a new oil and data is a collective thing like it's when you when you see a data that is 1 terabyte big or something it's, it looks huge uh, but then it came from every, uh, you know, single person in the world or uh, the country. So each of them has to be has to get a share of it. Whatever whatever the data is making, whatever revenue that the data is generating, some part of it should go to the the sources of the data, who is giving the data. So I think this has to. I think there has to be some policy initiatives on this as well, not just uh, businesses. I mean, the policies are impeding some of this, and that's kind of these policies also happen over time they are kind of calibrated to suit certain business interests knowingly or unknowingly these things happen because many uh, politicians may not be aware of all these details and, and the technology and they would just go with the experts in technologies and usually the experts may have some kind of conflict of interest they probably would come from one of these big companies and they would have to uh, you know propound what is good for them and that might become the law uh, so So I think there is a need to revisit all these regulations from the government perspective and from the business perspective, they need to start creating the demand for it, because right now there is not much demand for this kind of things. So if the businesses can demonstrate that this model can be successful, then people can go to the government and represent and say that, okay, now we are also a sizable uh, community, we are doing this. And if you guys relax on regulations, we can grow much bigger. We can make it mainstream. And you don't have to worry a lot about universal basic income. I mean, you can worry, you you still have to do that to some extent, but you, we can reduce your burden a lot, right? Um, and actually, one thing I might say here is uh, there has some countries have been toying with this idea, uh, like the developing countries like India in particular and South Africa and some of the other countries. Uh, in terms of e-commerce and global trade, uh, when, you, when you're buying something on Amazon uh, online, uh, right now there is no customs paid for it even though even though uh, it's crossing the border because it's a package it's just one package of a small thing you don't pay but now the government is saying that there's, they're they're kind of saying that we have to think about taxing these so that the government can make some money out of it and that can be used for public welfare and uh, this is one thing second thing is this is this is at least understandable because you know um i mean this makes sense if your goods goods are crossing borders they have to pay but one more subtle thing they are planning to do is even the digital transmissions like for example i'm a consultant i do a lot of work for organizations in you know geneva or other places and the only transaction i do is probably an email i send an email with a report or data and that crosses the border not the literal physical border, but just you know digitally uh, through email and and they pay me an amount that comes through into my bank account, right? And, and this, this also they want the, these governments they want to be treated as uh, uh, transactions that are subject to tariffs. There can be some tariffs on this. Uh, so this is one way. Like, uh, and, and another thing you can think about is uh, the way you have uh, in the '90s. You when you want to buy, uh, you want to listen to a, like a like a pop album, and you're sitting in India. You have to literally purchase that album from um you know from uh, the us right but now you can just switch on youtube click the video and you can see that so there is no transaction happening a lot of these videos are free and if some they are sold you just pay a small amount to the to the platform youtube or something and you get it so this already is kind of on one uh, from one perspective you say that yeah consumers are gaining but on the other side the governments are losing and if the governments are losing we are all losing because governments need some money to spend on welfare programs so uh, so there have been some arguments on maybe there should be some tax on digital economy uh, all over the world. And that is one kind of shortcut to uh, what you just said, what you said about uh, data. You know, people should be uh, people should be paid for giving data. So if the companies are not paying, then they just they just be they, they just get taxed. And then the tax money, then the, the biggest thing the government should do is to earmark the tax revenue, whatever tax revenue they're collecting from the digital economy. Should be spent on the these people who are getting displaced because of digital economy, people who are losing jobs and so on because of the digital economy. And they can be paid from it. Uh, so that is another another uh, you know solution to to this potential solution. So I think uh, this whole area is fascinating from both the business perspective and uh, policy uh, perspective, and a lot of things and need to be done here. And uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah.
0: absolutely, no, you are right. I mean, uh, this is. Uh... Something that should be at the top of everyone's agenda because we are not talking about just humans losing jobs, you know, and, you know, people losing jobs and people not uh, having any anything productive to do. And uh, if we just uh, throw the universal basic income at them, they are, they will have no purpose in life. They will not be fulfilled, you know, every morning, the desire to wake up and do something meaningful, that won't be there. So whatever model we create, we need to create where they feel, you know, pride, they feel part of the economy, they feel that they are contributing something important, you know, for, you know, for our coming tomorrow or, you know, whatever is happening in the world. We cannot just tell them, okay, here is $1,200 or $1,500, go, you know, live your life. That is not good enough. We need to give them a purpose. So we need to create a model that gives them a purpose, that gives them a feeling that they are contributing, you know, even their own digital data, what they do, what, how, what they like, what they don't like, how they, you know, spend their day, all that, you know, digital data. They are producing that itself, you know, will give them a desire to create their day-to-day activities in a more meaningful way. They won't be just feeling like, okay, let's just you know go to movies or let's go to the beach and let's you know just uh, eat and you know sleep. That won't be their purpose. They to create more meaningful data, which will give them more meaningful, you know, compensation, they will make sure that their day-to-day activities are more meaningful, that they exercise, that they do this, do that, you know, that would be part of the digital data. So we have to keep the purpose in mind that we need to make sure we give purpose to each and every individual. So there is a lot of opportunity here. You are right. And I'm glad that, you know, you said some countries have already started talking about it because, yes, the cost and, you know, and uh, every communication that is going through all digital, uh, different, you know, countries' uh, digital boundaries, all that we'll need to, we have to restructure, you know, how we can, you know, make sure that everyone benefits from it, not just, you know, a few companies that have created these platforms, that they just make trillions, that is not the way to go because then, you know, the whole global community will fall apart, the global economy will fall apart. That is not the way to go. We need to create a model where there is a win-win situation for everybody because governments will need revenues, you know, to survive and to sustain and to provide all those, you know, services that they provide to the, uh, you know, uh, citizens. At the same time, you know, governments also will need to be restructured. How we govern, how we create, what models, you know, a lot of things that we are doing right now, we don't need to do that, way. like voting, you know, the elections are coming up, the people don't need to go to, you know, places where there are a lot of people, we can do digital voting. We can, you know, we have to create new systems, new ways of doing things. So government is not excluded here. Just like businesses, governments will need to reform how they, you know, come up with the regulations, policies that also needs to be restructured and reformed. So this is a, while this is a time of great crisis, This is also a time of enormous opportunity because we will be able to redesign, redefine, reimagine everything. And, you know, we can come up with very effective ways. The 3D example that you gave is, you know, really very meaningful because I, and, you know, Everything that we need in a day to day, we can produce, we can uh, use the 3D printers and we will be able to do that on our own. So we won't be needing a lot of factories. We can do all those things, you know, right at home with the 3D printers, with the IoT infrastructure, you know, that we will have across nations we will be able to get a lot of intelligence because we can place those sensors, you know, all different places. And even the pandemic, you know, information that we did not get this time, and which is a shame because we could have used our technology, IOTs and AI, and we could have figured out much earlier where this, you know, is emerging and we could have contained it. It did not need to be a global, you know, pandemic, but we failed in that. We didn't, uh, the problems that we should be solving, we are not keeping an eye on that. What are the most serious you know, risks for the humanity let 's you know focus uh, those you know and let 's start solving those problems. The, the people who are developing all these technologies they are not solve, visualizing that that what problems to solve? I have been talking about this for the last three and a half years that you know synthetic biology and ability to purchase you know, genes from anywhere any any individual. The, right now, there is democratization of innovation. Any individual can, you know, create a pathogen and destroy, mm. the, uh, create a pandemic. Any individual can create a pathogen and wipe out some other country's agriculture. Why are we not doing this? For the last three and a half years, I've been talking about it. But, uh, you know, people are not thinking which problems to solve. And that is a shame because those things we need to be pushing now that where we need to put our effort, so that we don't, humanity doesn't have to go through that, you know, go through this pandemic kind of situation again. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your efforts, your initiatives, what you are trying to do, and if they have any question, if they have, like before we discussed this, you told me about, in our earlier discussion, you told me about the software that you have developed, which gives you an amazing ability to add it, to just change one variable and see what the, you know, uh, impact it's going to be, where the changes will be. So what would you like to share all that with our global viewers and listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dr. Pandya. Uh, You you put it so nicely, um, like whatever we discussed in terms of, uh, you know, uh, being, having a purpose and how government should really think and, and so on. I completely agree with you and in terms of uh, what i have been doing on on these uh, things i have been doing a few different uh, projects uh, which kind of relate to some of the things we discussed uh, i'll first talk about the the, the kind of broad ideas i have been working on and then i'll come to my the specific uh, kind of software and models that i have developed which 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 can be very helpful on this um, the so first of one one idea i have been working on is about the, the future of work so if uh, work becomes more uh, yeah, if, if the industries become more automatic, you know, robotics, automation, uh, 3D printers and all these things become a big thing. Uh, what happens to the workers? What happens to the workers of different types of skills? And, and uh, what will happen to income inequality? Because maybe the high skill are going to earn more, low skill are going to earn less. So what? how, how is it going to pan out? How the governments can intervene here? Maybe investing more on skill development programs so the the blue collar worker who works in the factory can now operate 3d printer so so those kind of you know skill development programs how much should they should they invest and so on so these are these are one set of things i've been working on a uh, second thing set of things are like more like what kind of uh, productivity impact and cost reduction impact can uh, some of these new technologies have like iot or cloud or blockchain uh, ai machine learning and all these things how can they uh, help specific tasks uh, to be more productive uh, less expensive and so on and how how that pans out for the whole economy like if you just talk about a new technology that somebody has developed for uh, let's say reducing the reducing the time uh, between uh, production and delivery or something like that uh, you know uh, how how what what does that mean for the whole industry and for the whole economy, if everyone adopts the technology, what would be the effect? So I've been doing those kind of studies too to understand, you know, how uh, useful the technologies, new technologies, can be for solving a lot of our pressing problems, economic problems, financial problems, and 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 in that perspective, how much can we invest? Because because it's going to have so much impact on the society. How much should the government uh, put in some money or some priority for these things? So that is another another set of things I've been working on. Um, and, and, uh, and also, uh, another thing I've been working on is to bridge the gap between, um, you know, the, as you rightly pointed out, the, you know, the, the, the technologies and the decision makers or the management leaders and those kind of people. Like right now, the disconnect we are seeing, like you rightly pointed out on the, the, the whole thing spiraling into a global pandemic is probably, we have all the technologies. We do we don't have any dearth of technologies now. But then the leaders who we have uh, elected, the political leaders are maybe to some extent even the business leaders on the core traditional businesses, not talking about the technology leaders, but the, the traditional you know, manufacturing, healthcare kind of leaders and po- political leaders, they, are, they have some kind of disconnect with the, the technologies. So I, I, what I've been doing in a small way, in my own way, is to conduct some training programs where uh, I can introduce technology to business leaders. And like you pointed out, the technology people, people who work on technologies, they are very fascinated about their programming and coding. And they, that just gives them so much pleasure that they forget to think about the applications. Where can this be applied? How it even, uh, you know, even I can give you one example. When I was talking to a, a major blockchain developer a company and I asked him, what do you think would be the economic impact of blockchain? He said no i think it will be very small because we are a small industry economically <laughs> so i said you know that's that's not how it works i mean you may be a small sector but you may have a profound impact on the economy because economics is not just about dollars but about the impact it can costs and so on so i think that kind of awareness is missing among many technology people so i'm trying to bridge this gap uh, conduct programs training programs where i have both the technology people and you know policy leaders and business leaders so they can, first of all, learn from each other. Then I can give business perspectives and policy perspectives to technology people and technology perspectives to the policy and business people. So that's that's another uh, set of things I'm doing. I think these are the three broad areas that are relevant to, I think, our discussion today. And coming, and, and of course, I'm also doing currently at the moment, I'm doing a lot of studies on economic impact of COVID, uh, the current pandemic, and how are we going to face it? And this is, again, this fits into my other work. Where how economies are changing, the digital transformation is happening. How how uh, these things can be accelerated because of COVID and so on. So that's another another area. But these are substantive issues I've been working on uh, in terms of the technical uh, models I've been using for this. Uh, I used to be an academic, full-time academic before at Purdue University, and where there I had a team uh, where we together we developed a model uh, over time, uh, which which basically captures the interlinkages and interrelationships between different countries and different sectors. So basically the model has the whole world uh, and it, it kind of captures the reali- realistic complexities in terms of the data linkages. Like for example, if cotton is produced in the US and, and it is exported to India, and in India it is converted into yarn and fabric in the textile industry, and then that is exported to let's say Bangladesh, and in bangladesh it's woven into a shirt uh, i mean it's it's uh, kind of tailored or sewed into a shirt and then that shirt comes back to the us so this kind of uh, i'm not saying that this kind of model can uh, literally track all these things item by item but at a macro level you can see that okay there is x million dollars of cotton is exported from us to india and of that y million dollars of cotton is used for producing textiles in india that is exported to bangladesh and then Z million dollars from Bangladesh of shirt export gets exported to US. This context, like you mentioned, we have thousands of variables in the model capturing different parts of the economy, you know, what happens to labor market, what happens to different, each of the different industries, uh, how does trade work, why would one uh, country import more from another as opposed to a third country, you know, these kind of things are all modeled here. So. Now, if, for example, the U.S. farm bill decides to reduce subsidy on cotton, and uh, this may result in increasing the price of, of price of cotton because they are no more subsidized, and then that can lead to increase in input cost for Indian textile industry, and then then further that can percolate into Bangladesh apparel industry, and then come back to the U.S. consumer. So all these spiraling effects of one thing that happens in one part of the world can affect other parts of the world, and then come back and affect another part of the same country. So so all these kind of uh, interrelation relationships are captured in this model. And the model also captures the fact that there are limited resources. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you cannot, uh, just because you have, you're putting in like $1 trillion of investment, you cannot expect, uh, you know, 1 million more people to come for work. There are only so many people and there's only so, many, so much natural resources you have, only so much land you have. So there are these constraints built in the model so that things can be, the predictions can be more realistic. Uh, so this this model is called a global trade analysis project and it's It's uh, it's in, in technical terms. It's called a computable general equilibrium model So it's kind of a an equilibrium setting where supply equals demand in all the places And then you change a variable like you said like for example increase the subsidy I told you reduce the subsidy or increase a tax or change the technology say that okay big be, because of some technology I'm able to reduce costs uh, increase efficiency So you can tweak that part of the model change one variable and see the impact all across the world all across different sectors you know like if you're increasing agricultural productivity what what would that mean for steel industry although it may appear from a common sense perspective, it may appear that oh why would agriculture affect steel but there may be forward and backward linkages because maybe if if agriculture becomes uh, expands uh, if agriculture expands then maybe you will buy more tractors and if you buy more tractors or the other vehicles other other machinery used in agriculture uh, you're going to buy more steel so so you know th- these these kind of linkages are captured in the model and and you can you can actually uh look at look at a lot of uh, things and this uh, model is it contains all the sectors and all the countries in the world pretty much so this this enables me to be very generalist i can work on any kind of uh, sector and any kind of country at least i have the basis For the data and uh, modeling relationships uh, 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 that is kind of off the shelf and i can of course the model is not all intelligent and so i have to uh, combine that with my uh, further knowledge i can gather about a particular sector particular country and then enrich the model to make sure that it captures those things and also there is an effort i've been working on to combine this kind of models with uh, Uh, Cutting-edge things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. So even this this model is this kind of models have been existing for a a few decades now, Um, and now now I'm also working on kind of modernizing them uh, because you know these are relatively uh, working with um, you know uh, older parameters that we design. Like for example, I would have uh, uh, you know assume the behavior of people based on last three, four, five years data. But now, after COVID, the people's behavior may change. Their elasticities may change, and so on. So this I can actually compute real time using, you know, crowd crowdsourcing of data, machine learning, and so on. So, so these are the things I'm currently kind of working on the on the kind of cutting edge of things. So to combine these kind of very rich uh, traditional models, these are kind of traditional, but already uh, kind of modernized. A lot of new things there, but then ma- make them further uh, receptive to uh the new developments we have on on computation and uh, so that is that is something i have been working on and in terms of collaborations i'm very willing to collaborate with uh, uh anyone interested among uh, our community in, in in your group and and um, anyone who watches this video uh, if you have any questions on how uh, you know certain uh changes that are happening let them be policy changes let them be business changes technological changes or maybe even this kind of pandemic kind of situation, disasters, natural disasters, uh, how would that impact my business? Or how would that impact my industry as a whole? Uh, if you have those kind of questions and if you want to go in depth and analyze that, what are the, what is the future possible, what are the future possibilities and so on, uh, I'd be glad to collaborate and help. And uh, um, it, it is more, if you summarize all these things I told you in a simple way, it is more like Kind of model that can do uh, some kind of futuristic thinking, uh, ex ante, uh, as we call it, futuristic thinking of uh, strategic decisions and policy decisions that can be made uh, using uh, using uh, you know sound data analytics, basically. So it's kind of a combination of data and sound economic theories uh, and a view of the future. Uh, um, so, so that's 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 where uh, I'm uh, heading to and. I would uh, love any collaborations on, on this.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much Dr. Gopal Krishna for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on business implications of COVID-19 and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided today and the summary that you gave about everything that you're working on, especially that model, it's going to be very useful because as every business, every industry moves forward, they would need to know where, you know, what implications they're going to have because of any changes that are happening in any part of the world. And they will have to redefine and redesign their products and services and systems so that kind of model is going to be very very useful so even if a single individual or organization or nation is able to understand how to better prepare their business or their industry or their uh, country be- based on the discussion uh we had today this is kind of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that
1: so yeah, could- thank you yeah thank you very much dr pandya i, I really enjoyed uh, this discussion and uh I think it was a nice exchange of uh, thoughts because you you also shared a lot of your precious uh, views on this, and um, I think I think it was it was a very very enriching discussion for me too. I also learned a lot from this discussion, and uh, I'm sure the viewers also will like it. And I look forward to many collaborations. So thank you, thank you very much again for
0: Much Likewise, so Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. Our ecosystem is the first and only cross-disciplinary and collective community that is made of top scientists, security professionals, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, policymakers, uh, investors, and academic institutions from across nations collaborating to research, review, rate, and report. Strategic security risk to protect the future of humanity. Add your voice to risk groups, get involved to protect the future of humanity, until next time, I'm Jayeshi, host of Risk signing off. See you next time. Thank you.